Well, good morning, church family, and happy anniversary. We excited about that this morning? I know I am. And we've had a wonderful church service already this morning. We've had cake, we've had baby dedications, we've been singing, maybe they'll be dancing later, who knows? Um, But I just, I have to say before I start, I love just watching how children are embraced and have a voice in our church family. And it's just so good watching little Heidi walking around like she owns the place. (laughs) You know you're a flourishing church family when your kids just feel that at home amongst you. There was a little moment just before while uh, Evie walked down the aisle to come and cut the cake where Devo had his hand out for a high five and uh, she just walked right on past. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to mention that, Devo. (laughs) Yeah, you'll you'll get it later, yeah? (laughs) Save it for later. Um, So, so excited and happy to share God's word with us together this morning. And before I do that, I also want to um, welcome back someone who's been in hospital for the last month, um, who's here with us back for the first time this morning, and that's Hazel Pritchard, who's sitting over this side. So let's give her a warm welcome. Hazel unfortunately had a car accident uh, a bit over a month ago, and so she's been in hospital recovering, but we're so happy to have you back with us, Hazel and Michael as well. We love you both, and you're such an important part of our church family. So thank you for being here today. There, There are certain human courtesies that I deem as necessary for the very fabric of society to remain together. And one of those human courtesies is the thank you wave. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. Preach it, sister. (laughs) So, you know, when you're merging in traffic and, uh, you know, someone lets you in, I I think it's human courtesy to give a little one of these, you know, in the rearview mirror, just to show your appreciation that someone's let you in their lane. And by the same token... Um, I expect a little one of these, a little thank you way when I let someone in my lane. It's just good manners, right? So, you know, we'll all be watching each other as we pull out into traffic after church today. Um, Come and talk to me if I ever don't give you a thank you wave. I give you complete commission to do that. Um, You know, same goes if you're in the drive-in and there's two, it's a two-laner drive-in and you've ordered first. I think it's just good manners that you be the first one to drive to the window, yeah, <laughs> in the drive-in if you've, if you've ordered first. Um, you know, these things are human courtesy. How about when uh, you are given credit for something that someone else did? It's good manners, right, if that you give credit where credit is due. Uh, these are the things that hold our society together, the fabric of our society. Um, I was uh, travelling with a group of people uh, in the UK just a, you know, a few months ago in June and we had a little stopover in Dubai and what happened was we, you know, everyone, well, anyone who's been to the Dubai airport knows it's, it's a notoriously long airport and you can walk up and down and up and down many times over during a stopover just to pass the time. But one of our people had a couple of guest passes for the first class lounge. And uh, so (laughs) while the rest of us were schlepping around uh, Dubai airport, paying far too much for coffees to stay awake, or um, trying to get a bit of sleep on one of those hard chairs, these two 
people were whining and dining in the first class lounge and you know enjoying the free shower facilities and just having a great old time while the rest of us were schlepping <laughs> and I have to admit that my I'm ashamed to admit that my response was to ask the question well where are the guest passes for the rest of us um, at that moment you know and I was only half joking but we, <laughs> we all have things that push our buttons, right? Injustices. And I wonder what those injustices are for you that push your buttons. Maybe it's the diversity hire in your workplace. Maybe it's the woman or the ethnic minority or the person with disability who's been hired so that your workplace reflects a more balanced and diverse workplace and perhaps they've been hired against someone that you think is more qualified for that position and that's pushing your buttons. Maybe it's the moment that your spouse is publicly praised for something that you did. So maybe it's breaking convention that the wife cooked the sausages for the, the barbecue but the husband gets praised and that's just pushing your buttons a little bit. Um, maybe it is the group assignment, I'm looking in this direction now guys, where you know everyone knows that everyone gets the same mark for a group assignment but there's always one person in a group assignment who never shows up to the meetings and who always kind of cruises by <laughs> and gets through. Maybe that's what pushes your buttons. You know, in the lottery of life, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that I have done to deserve being born in a country where all I have to do is turn on the tap to get clean water. Whereas in other places in this world, people have to walk for miles or pay great cost to have that same privilege that I have of accessing clean water. So there, is, there are privileges in our society, aren't there? And I'd love to actually just demonstrate that with a little exercise this morning to demonstrate privilege. And in order for this to work, I need five volunteers, guys. Five people that are comfortable thinking on their feet. Five people who have a good grasp of the English language so you can kind of follow where I'm going with this. It's not going to be too hard, but I do need five confident volunteers. So please help me out. I'm going to need the anchor mic if that's all right. Do you have that, Kathy? I'm going to start pulling people out of the, the crowd if you don't volunteer. Excellent. Nash, come on down. Thank you. <laughs> all right, we've got one. Who's that? Up? Oh, fantastic, Josh. Come on down. And we've got Luke. We need some girls up here. <laughs> Come on, ladies. All right, I'm going to pull. Oh, Beck, awesome. And, I, and Val May, I'm going to call you up. <laughs> Thanks, Val. All right, thank you guys. What I need you to do is kind of line up in that direction over there. So, uh, yep, yep, you got the idea, Beck. So just in a straight line if you can, fantastic. And what I'm gonna do, at random, I'm gonna give you a character that you are going to assume for this exercise. Okay, don't worry, you don't have to sort of play them out. That one's yours, just keep it to yourself. 
There you go. And this exercise, what I'm going to do is read out 20 statements. And what I'd like you to do is take a step forward if you believe this statement applies to the character that you're assuming for this exercise, okay? If you think that it doesn't apply, just stay where you are. Um, if you're not sure whether it applies to you, you can stay standing where you are. Does that make sense? Yep. So I'm going to read these 20 statements and at the end we'll kind of see where you all are. All right. Step forward if you or your family have a secure form of income. Yeah. <laughs> Step forward if you can pursue whatever career you want and expect to find and keep long-term employment. Step forward if you can reasonably expect to own your own home. <laughs> Step forward if people like you are generally accepted and respected by others in society. Okay. Step forward if you are able to understand what your doctor tells you. Step forward if you can go shopping alone most of the time and feel pretty well assured that you won't be followed or harassed. Step forward if you often find brochures written in your first language about local services. Step forward if you would feel comfortable approaching the police for assistance. Step forward if you can expect to be financially secure in life. Step forward if you see positive images of yourself and stories about people from your background in newspapers and online. Step forward if you're confident seeking support from social workers, counsellors, teachers and youth workers. <laughs> uh, step forward if you have the opportunity to take a holiday every year. Um, and I'm going to cut this short because we're running out of room up here. <laughs> step forward if, um, you, if police don't generally stop and question you when you're with a group of friends. Okay, interesting. Placement, hey? I, I don't think you took one step forward in that exercise, Val. So I'm going to ask you, who is the person that you're playing out this morning? Despite how I look, I am a 16-year-old female Sudanese who's been six months in Australia. I live with uncle, aunt and five cousins, unemployed, finished grade three education, still repaying uncle for supporting her to migrate, suffers from post-traumatic traumatic stress from witnessing family being killed. Mm. So I didn't feel I could move on any of those. Yeah. Mm. What 
yes, so I was going to ask you, what surprised you uh, about where you ended up this morning? Well, I just felt, I felt a bit sad about the fact that mm. there was nothing, um, there was no reason that I could find. I didn't feel supported, I didn't feel I could trust police. Mm. Some of those I was a little bit shaky on, but mm. <laughs> generally, yeah. Mm. I was just surprised that I didn't get to step at all. No, yeah. you didn't get to take one step no. forward. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? It is sad, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Val. I'll get you to stay there and I'll, we'll, we'll come back in a moment. Beck, who were you playing? Um, so I was a male 17-year-old boy, Burmese boy um, who had finished year 10 but had, was struggling because they had limited English and was working part-time but it was only cash in hand. Mm-hmm. What were the, the things that you felt had in your profile there that enabled you to step forward when you did? Uh, the one about walking around and not being harassed by people because I was male. Um, and then I stepped forward for the social worker one because as a studying social worker, I was like, they should be able to come to us. But I don't, I don't know if I could make that judgment. So, yeah. 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 So some of it's an expression of what should happen yeah. rather than what is and we have to make a judgment call. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Beck. Josh, tell us what was written on your profile card. So I got a, a male 23-year-old Aboriginal who's de facto slash heterosexual, three children, poor health and some part-time work. Mm -hmm. What were the parts that enabled you to step forward, Josh? I was just trying to um, picture to myself how would um, an Aboriginal be able to... Um, cope in a situation where um, he's got all of these factors and um, thinking about um, how that would actually work. I watched, um, yeah, I remember watching a movie back when I was in school and I was watching um, how they interacted with, um, with the um, people in, with our people, mm -hmm. as opposed to their own community mm. and That's how they can, um, and they can exploit them for um, themselves. Like for instance, when they make, a, when they make um, a piece of art and they, and they get about a minor amount of money for it, and then when they go to sell it, they, they can sell for about hundreds of dollars or something like that. Yeah, thank you, Josh. So there's there are uh, some things that we assume, but depending on our knowledge of uh, people yeah. with uh, from that ethnic background as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, guys. Nash, who were you? I was a 40-year-old Anglo-Australian male lives in a rural area. How do you feel about where you ended up this morning? Um, well, I stepped forward for pretty much everything except for like the freedom to pursue different careers mm -hmm. because I feel like there's, there's certain limitations on education and stuff in rural areas. So I just figured there might be some limitations for mm. someone like that. Um, and there was one more, but I, oh, I, don't, I can't remember mm. which one. But yeah, I stepped forward for pretty much everything. Mm. So. It's quite a, a long way between where you're standing and where Valmay is standing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, thanks, Nash. Appreciate it. And Luke, who are you? I am a 23-year-old female. I'm Australian. Recently graduated in law. Um, I have a job in my father's law firm and I am of good health. Excellent. <laughs> you look like you're in good health. Yeah, I mean, I tied my hair up today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think I fit the mould. Yeah, excellent. Well, guys, 
thank you for taking part in this. And just so you, you can reassume your natural selves, if you just want to do a little 360 turn and you'll become yourself again. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. You know, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. <laughs> and I took a risk because I really wanted to illustrate what privilege looks like um, in a really visual way. And, you know, we can see a few things by doing an exercise like that. We can see that some people in our society, um, for whatever reason, have more privilege than others and have more basic access to services than others do. We can see that when deciding to step forward or not, our friends on stage here had to make a decision relying on their preconceptions and sometimes uh, prejudice and stereotypes, the things that we believe about the, the particular people that we're playing. And we can also see that some differences we wear on the outside, like our skin tone, but some other differences we are not so visible, like our health. And so this, this exercise of privilege, I want you to keep that in your mind as we head into the parable today of the workers in the vineyard, which is very much another story of privilege playing out in the day of Jesus, in the mud, sticks and stones world of Jesus. It's a, it's a parable where you read it and you just want to go, it's not fair, right? That, that is my heart response as I participate in an exercise like that. It's just not fair. But before we dive deeply into this parable of the workers in the vineyard, um, I'd love to share with you just a few little tips about how to read parables, because we've been doing this over the last month or so, um, diving into the mud, sticks and stones world of Jesus. So just a few tips on how you might approach a parable when you're reading one. First of all, parables, they proclaim the kingdom of God. And that is to say that, that parables, um, they are announcing, they are Jesus announcing that the reign and rule of God in the world has arrived. Um, there are three kinds of kingdom parable. You've got the parables of crisis, where Jesus is saying, get ready, because the kingdom is near. You've got parables of growth, where Jesus uh, starts with, by describing something very small, like a mustard seed, something seemingly insignificant that grows over time. And then you've got what I like to call parables of the new world order, where Jesus, the great reverser, who loves to turn things inside out and upside down, <laughs> uh, changes the whole way of viewing the world. And that is this morning's parable. It's a, a parable of the new world order. Parables are a story with a moral and a twist. So to take a leaf out of Stuart's book from last week, uh, I'm, when I say moral, you say twist. Moral? Twist. Moral? Twist. Good, excellent, you're listening. <laughs> um, and, Thomas B. Woodward would say that our task is not to apply the parable to our lives, but to experience the world that's revealed in the parable. In other words, our task is to 
not take the parable out of its context and apply it to us, but for us to step into the world of the story that Jesus is telling and to ask one simple question. Who am I in this story? That's our job this morning. So before we read this parable together, let's pray and just invite God to speak to us. Loving God, thank you that you still speak to us today. Thank you so much that you are a living God and you breathe life into us through scripture. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. And I pray for us now, God, that we would hear what you would have us hear this morning and respond how you would have us respond. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read this morning from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. It'll be on screen or you might like to read along in your tablet, phone or paper Bible, whatever your choice is. (laughs) These are the words of Jesus. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some people standing around. He asked them, Why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and and join the others in the vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, They assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. You remember that privilege exercise that we just saw played out on stage? where Valme was right down this end and you've got Luke right down that end representing different people in society. I, I reckon that this parable of the, the workers in the vineyard is a little bit like that and we don't know why some are privileged before others. We don't know because this story doesn't tell us why some get to step forward and others don't, why some are invited to work earlier in the day and others don't get a look in until 5pm. We just don't know the answers to those questions. 
but we can see very clearly that some are chosen first and some are chosen last. Clearly, some are privileged in this story above others. And they expect that they're going to be paid accordingly, but it's just not the case. So I want you to remember that parables are a story with a moral and a... Excellent. Um, So our twist this morning is that the latecomers get more than they deserve. And the moral of our story is that Jesus invites us to rejoice in the injustice of grace. You know, even in the lottery of life, where some are privileged before others and some receive opportunities that others do not, grace is always the great equaliser of us, of all people. So remember that the ultimate question of any story, any parable is, who am I in this story? In order to get to that, we need to ask a few more questions of this parable this morning. And so we're going to talk about these three questions. Who is the landowner? Who are the lucky latecomers? And who are the jealous regular workers in this story? Let's start with who is the landowner? The answer to this question lies in the passage that comes directly before it. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and Peter, good old Peter who loves to ask the question that no one else will, asks Jesus to talk about, well, you know, what are the rewards that are awaiting those of us who sacrificed more than other people have sacrificed? And this is how Jesus responds to Peter's question. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Imagine with me that heaven is like a a big wedding reception. And everyone knows who's been to a a wedding with a sit-down wedding reception that most of the time when you're about to walk into that hall, you've got the big board and you're looking for your name and what table am I sitting on? And you kind of, you know that there is a difference between table number one, which is usually the bridal party, and table number 19, which is usually, you know, second cousin twice removed and maybe the nanny of the bride from when she was two and, and uh, you know, the next door neighbour or who knows. Um, but we do know that there is a difference between table number one and table number 19. And, you know, in this story, we have this example of the difference between the first and the last. Um, You know, the relationship that we have to the bride and groom determines where we're going to be sitting um, in the reception hall. If you are close to the bride and groom, you're more likely to be higher up in the numbers, hey? And if you're a little bit further removed from the bride and groom, you're more likely to be sitting a little bit further away. And even though, you know, everyone gets the same meal and everyone gets to dance the same dances and hear the same speeches, there is a difference in relationship and that is played out in the wedding reception table order. You know, by naming the first and the last, 
to his disciples, Jesus is clearly indicating who the power broker is in this story. And he's saying that it's him. He gets to decide who the first and the last are because he tells them the first will be last and the last will be first. He's leading in by saying, we're reversing this order, folks. And, but interestingly, the designation of first and last has shifted somewhat from that previous story, which was all about sacrifice and Jesus saying, well, you know, you guys, you've sacrificed a lot, but you're not necessarily going to have first place. <laughs> and it's shifted from sacrifice to the workers in the vineyard, and it's all about who has earned the most, who's earned the place to be sitting at table number one versus table 19. Jesus invites us to rejoice in the injustice of grace. And so who's making those decisions? It is God who is the landowner in this parable. So if God is the landowner, then who are the lucky latecomers that are rocking up at 5 p.m. And, and getting paid the day's wage? Well, they are the least deserving. They should be at table 19 with the second cousin and the nanny, but they've been invited to the bridal party table. They're sitting in a prime position. But who the least deserving are in this story very much depends on who's listening to the story being told. So if it were the Pharisees and the religious leaders listening to this story, for them the least deserving would be the sinners and the tax collectors. If it were the Jews listening to this story, it would be the Gentiles who would be the least deserving of God's grace. But this story, it is Jesus' own disciples who are listening to him, and so who is the least deserving for them? Remember, he has just been talking to his disciples about sacrifice. And so here they are thinking, well, we've, we've left everything behind. Family, fields, our very livelihood to come and follow you. Surely, the, the least deserving are those who've done nothing. Those who've rocked up at five o'clock and expected to be paid the same. The least deserving are those who've done nothing to follow Jesus yet. And I dare say, we're, we as a culture, we're not so far removed from that. You know, when you go to a party or you meet someone new for the first time, what's the question that is most often off the tip of our lips? What do you, exactly, what do you do? We are so focused on what we do. And Jesus' disciples are, are quite similar in this story. Um, busyness is, they're, they're hoping busyness will get them a little bit further in the uh, reception queue. The world's order says that the last should be the least deserving, the sinners, the Gentiles, the idle, and that the first should be the most deserving, the religious leaders, the Jews, and the hard workers. But Jesus, he always reverses the world's order, doesn't he? He turns things inside out and upside down and he is saying that the last are the most deserving and the, and the first are the least deserving. It's like Jesus walked into the wedding reception and he picked up all the place cards before the bride and groom got there and he swapped them <laughs> over. And so I, I would love to just get a show of hands. Are there anyone here who got married within the last couple of years, say, um, a couple who got married within the last couple of years who had a sit-down wedding reception. 
Oh, we've, yep, we've got a, a couple of players. Excellent. So I'm going to come out to you. <laughs> I, I don't know who to go to first. Yeah, okay. We'll go to Steve and Hannah. Um, who, can I ask you a question? Who was at table one on the bridal party table? Is that on? No, it's brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. I'm not going to ask you who's on table 19. I won't do that to you. <laughs> but what would it be like for you guys if the tables were turned and Jesus walked in and swapped your very carefully placed place cards and name cards before you got there? Yeah, wedding planner. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have been thrilled. <laughs> bit uncomfortable right yeah thank you for playing along I appreciate that and welcome <laughs> um, you know I think that's just a little glimpse of what it would be like if uh, you know Jesus walked into a wedding reception and changed the the place cards might just be a little glimpse of how his disciples were feeling that day in response to them hearing that hey wait a minute you're not getting pride of place here the first will be last and the last will be first. So remember, friends, our task is to step into the mud, sticks and stones world of the parable and to ask one question, who am I in this story? Am I the lucky latecomer who has done nothing to deserve salvation? Am I the lucky latecomer who has come late to the party and been welcomed to the head of the table, given the free gift of salvation through Christ Jesus being offered relationship with God the Father? Or am I the faithful servant, the regular worker, the one who shows up on time every day, does my bit, and who is watching as this latecomer comes to the party and is given the place that I expect to have. Something more, expecting something more for my efforts, or at worst, jealous of those who are advanced before me. I wonder who you are this morning. Can I tell you a story? This is my neighbour, or my good friend Samaye, who we used to be neighbours, we used to live just down the hall from one another um, at my previous place in an apartment complex and we got to know each other quite well and uh, this is just uh, this last week at her baby shower and just a week before this photo was taken I had Samaye and her husband, her little boy, and she, you can see she's quite heavily pregnant there, uh, they came around for dinner at my place we had just a, a lovely time together. Samaya is Muslim and we'll ha often have spiritual conversations. And at the end of our time together, she asked me, as she's done before, if I would pray for them. They're going through some significant challenges in life at the moment. And I said, sure, I would love to pray for you. Um, but Samaya said something to me that she said to me many times before. And she said, you know, when you pray, it always kind of works out for good. 
when you pray, things happen. And she said this, you know, she said, oh, you know, the last four or five times she said this has happened for them. And I thought to ask the question this time that I haven't thought to ask her before. And it was, it was God prompting it, I'm sure. And I asked her just that beautiful why. Why do you think that is that when I pray it's different somehow or that my prayers work? And she thought about it and through broken English she said to me, it's like when you pray, God understands you. And then this just next bit undid me. (laughs) She said, it's like your best friends with God. And that just gets me even now as I'm telling you the story. It's like your best friends with God. And, you know, at that point, I could have bought in to the lie that somehow my prayers are more special or that somehow I'm more virtuous and because I'm such a good person, God answers my prayers. That's not the case. And you know what? She could be sitting in front of any single one of you who has relationship with Jesus and say the same exact thing. It's like you're close to God. It's like you're best friends with God. And so I decided I want to take this another step further. And I said to her, well, why? Why do you think I can say that I'm best friends with God? I said, it's true, I am. And God loves us and he loves you so much. But she couldn't answer that why question. And so I told her again, as I've told her many times before, that it is because God became one of us. because God became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood so that we can be called best friends of God. And that is something that I know we each want our friends and family and neighbors who don't yet know Christ to know what it's like to be best friends with God. Philip Yancey wrote, What's so amazing about grace? Uh, his book and in his book he wrote God loves people because of who God is not because of who we are and the same was true of that moment as I sat with Samaye God answers my prayers because of who he is not because of who I am God is love and he loves us just because he loves us just because he loves us just because he loves us this is his character he cannot be otherwise So this morning, whether you are a lucky latecomer just discovering this about the kind-hearted father or whether you've been serving him your whole life, perhaps you've been part of this church family for the last 30 years, you know, we're all invited to the table together to accept the great equaliser of grace. Jesus invites us to rejoice in the injustice of grace. In a moment, friends, we're going to be taking communion together. This is an extra special time of communion because we are celebrating our 30th anniversary this morning. But as you approach the table, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the the privilege exercise that we just saw played up here on stage. You know, approaching the communion table is like the great reversal of that stepping forward privilege exercise because you know that in every way that I fall short Jesus stepped closer to me 
in every way that we fall short of the glory of God, He steps closer to us. I have done nothing to deserve relationship with Jesus. God steps closer. I'm fundamentally selfish. God steps closer. I seek my will above God's. God steps closer. I'm jealous of those who receive opportunities that I don't. God steps closer. I think of myself more than others. God steps closer. Until God meets us in the person of Jesus. Jesus invites us to rejoice in the injustice of grace. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3, he says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead, including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This morning, as you step out of your seats and you approach the table to take the bread and to drink of the cup, know that you can do that because God is a just and fair God who became sin. He who was without sin became sin, and that is the injustice of grace. So whether you're the lucky latecomer or the faithful servant, we eat and we drink together this morning. You are welcome to, to approach in your own time as, we, uh, as the music plays. And as you do that, um, I would invite you also, for those of you who have come prepared uh, with <clears throat> some gifts uh, to bring as we celebrate our offering, our, our anniversary this morning, that you can come and place your gifts in the boxes that are on the tables. We're celebrating all that God has done for us today as a church family. Um, if you would like to just observe this time, feel, don't feel any obligation that you have to come forward. Um, this is an opportunity, but this is not an obligation. So church family, uh, let's pray together as we prepare to accept God's gift of grace for us. Loving God, we thank you so much for the gift of grace. We thank you, Lord, that he who was without sin became sin for us. We thank you that in every step we take to, toward the table this morning is a step we take because you made the first move and stepped closer to us. We thank you for your amazing grace, God, that includes all of us at the table. We thank you in the name of Jesus. So friends, this is Christ's body 
broken for you. This is Christ's blood, which was poured out for you. Come, eat, drink, and give.